the chaos of battle, when the ground beneath your feet is a slurry of blood, puke piss, and the entrails of friends and enemies alike, it's easy to turn to the gods for salvation. But it's soldiers who do the fighting, and soldiers who do the dying, and the gods never get their feet wet. Alright folks, welcome to Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 57, and today we're talking about The Centurion. This great and fantastic film stars Michael Fassbender, Olga Kurilenko, and Dominic West. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my good and dear friend, Ken Quintus Maximus Ronarius Roni. We who are about to podcast salute you. <laughs> nice. Very well done. And also joining us is our other very good and dear friend, Jeff. Get that blue crap off my face, Muncie. I've always questioned, anytime I watch a movie, whether I could fill the role of you know one of these legionnaires or someone in the uh, in the airborne. And I usually come up with no. And after watching this movie, I realized, you know what? I could have been in the Roman Legion Army. They had a scene in here with a cook, and I realized I would have been the cook. A deadly cook, apparently, yep. but a cook nonetheless in the Ninth Legion. There you go. He served them up cold, as they should be. As they should be. Unfortunately, our other good and dear friend, uh, Marcus Loverius, is unable to join us on this uh, particular show. He is uh, visiting his dear old dad uh, this week. Uh, so we have decided to go with this other movie called uh, Centurion, and we're going to be doing uh, Cross of Iron at another date because that's a great uh, favorite film of Mark's, and he really wants to be there for that. So we're going to do this one instead. All right, so we are doing uh, this movie called Centurion. It was made in 2010, and it is about a, um, uh, a surviving group of Roman soldiers fight for their lives uh, behind enemy lines after their whole legion is uh, wiped out in a devastating attack by uh, Picts. For those of you who don't know a whole lot about Roman history or anything like that, the Romans had conquered about half of Britain. The one part that they uh, really had a hard time moving forward on was what is basically known now as Scotland, which at that time they called Pictland. And if you've ever heard of Hadrian's Wall, Hadrian's Wall essentially was, that was the farthest point of the Roman frontier that they ever got because they finally got to the point where it's like, you know what, screw it, we can't take these guys. The terrain is inhospitable, uh, doesn't work for us. So they actually built this huge wall called Hadrian's Wall. And this particular movie takes place a little bit before uh, the uh, the building of Hadrian's Wall. And it's about the Ninth Legion that supposedly disappeared. And that's what this movie pretty much does. It, it kind of sets it up as, you know, they march out north to conquer the Picts, and they get wiped out. And one of the Centurions escapes and is able to team up with some other survivors, and it's basically just kind of like a survival movie. They're trying to get back to their own lines, and they're being chased down by, you know, some of the other picks. I really like this movie. Um, I'm just going to tell you that right now. I'm a big fan of this. I saw it um, about a year ago. It was on Netflix. First of all, I'm a big fan of anything, um, you know, Roman, Roman history. I love movies about gladiators. Uh, <laughs> 
There you go. So I, I really did like this movie. I, I really did enjoy it. And it's a uh, pretty good production value. I think it was, it's definitely a UK movie because pretty much everybody in there is, uh, uh, Brit. Well, there's a few other, uh, Eastern Europeans in there, but it's mostly Brit. Michael Fassbender's in it and, uh, he does a very good job in it. Dominic West, Olga Kurilenko. And I really liked it. Ken, what do you think? I mean, you and I talked about this a little bit, uh, pre-show. Want to get your thoughts? Well, I do want to just our listeners know that you know it's it's not true that we have some obsession all of a sudden about Olga Kurilenko because <laughs> she was in our podcast last week. Correction, um, yes. yeah, you, you you can't speak for me. You oh okay, not all but, of us have you. a twisted sick obsession with Olga Kurilenko, but be that as it may, she is one of the people at top billing in this movie. Uh, and she does a decent job. I liked this movie. I saw it at the theater. Uh, really? I thought it was well done. I like the details. I think the landscapes, the scenery, you know, the basic cinematography is well done. The music is good. I'm not going to say it's great, but it's good. Uh, interesting characters in this case. I mean, they take the time to sketch out you know, you know a little bit about all the major players about what their motivations are uh but it's basically a chase movie you know it's sort of a revenge movie but basically it's a chase and you got these you know the first part of the movie the legion goes out and then the second half they're just trying to get back to safety there's a little side diversion but uh they're running around through this beautiful scenery in scotland through you know fog shrouded mists and glaciers and Forest is uh, very nice. But in terms of the historical detail, I thought they did a very good job. Everything, you know, again, I'm not the biggest expert. I mean, I, I know guys that are major experts on Rome, the Roman Empire, but I'm not at that level. But from what I can see, they did a good job of showing good and bad. It's a gritty movie. The people are dirty. Mm-hmm. You know, their hair is must. They don't go in for a hot, you know, Hollywood, beautiful people scenes all the time. I mean, pretty much every scene, everybody looks pretty grungy, which is kind of a different twist. Uh, I will uh, make one other comment here that tying this into another recent podcast. I'll just pose this question. You guys can answer it if you want. But who makes the better treacherous scout? Olga Kirilenko's Etain or Wes Studi's Magua? Because they're basically the same role. I think it's Tane, and I'll tell you why. Part of it is she is, not only is she more treacherous, she's menacing. And Jeff and I talked about this a little bit um, offline because she doesn't speak throughout the whole movie because you find out at, you know, at one point, you know, she is, she's a scout for the Romans and, you know, she's essentially just a, a traitor, just like Magua was in, in, in Less of the Mohican. I wouldn't even call her a traitor. I mean, she's just, you know, she was hired to do a job and she had her ulterior motives. And you find out that, you know, her whole family was wiped out by the Romans. You know, she was raped, her mother was raped, her father was killed. For her, this is all about revenge. And you understand where she's coming from. And she's very menacing in this movie. I think her menace was so much more than Mog was. And you know what I think it was, Ken? She never speaks throughout this entire movie. And I think that's really what made her so menacing 
And I think the fact that she never spoke anything, all it was done, all of her acting, all of her hatred, everything was through her eyes. And we talked about that in Hitman, how, you know, uh, how Timothy Oliphant acted with his eyes. I mean, I think she had him beat, you know, dead to rights in this movie with how she acted with her eyes in this. That's my opinion. I, I agree with you, Steve. I think you summed it up rather nicely that her, her silence throughout the film, um, was, was what sold her creepiness. And, uh, the characters on the screen were clearly, um, intimidated by this woman, um, just to her presence. I mean, they knew, and they knew from the beginning what she was capable of. And as soon as they found out that she was on their tail, um, they wasted no time with, uh, with, uh, with, as, as Ken mentioned, the chase and, um, getting out of Dodge. So, uh, but throughout the movie, I mean, it is, um, it, it uh, reminded me of the scene from, uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid where, uh, Butch and, uh, Sundance are, are being pursued and, and they're, and they, you know, they're, they've, they've been going over mountains and rocks and all kinds of stuff and they've been trying to lose the trail of, of these guys that are following them and, you know they're they're laying there and they're like, you know, who who is this guy? And they and when they find out it's you know Lord Baltimore, um, who's who's you know who's you know the best tracker um, in in basically you know west of the Mississippi, and you know and and this guy has them terrified. Um, same thing here. Um, I mean she can track them over hill, dale, river, mountain. Um, she knows where they're at. I, I was really impressed with her role in this movie and how quiet she was in doing it and how that really defined the character. As we talked about, we just saw her in the last movie that we uh, did was Hitman. And like I said, I thought she had a good role in that. It, you know, she didn't strike me as anything like spectacular. I saw her in another movie, um, which I talked about in that one. Uh, another video game movie was uh, Max Payne. And to be perfectly honest, I really don't remember her role that much, so it's not really uh, something that sat with me. But in this one, uh, this is the this is probably the one role that I saw her in where it's like, holy cow, she is just. I mean, I thought her acting was very good. Like I said, never spoke a word throughout the entire movie, but there was no doubt in your mind when she looked in the camera or when she was looking off what was going through her mind. I mean, she made it really clear, and I thought she did a really good job. I was very much impressed. In fact, there's uh, really other than Michael Fassbender, I, I thought she was probably the you know the next best actor in the in the whole movie. Definitely did a fantastic job in this. Uh, but you know, while we're talking about actors, let's um, or mention actors. Let's just talk about a few of those. Like I said, Michael Fassbender, he plays uh, Centurion Quintus Dias, and he is a uh, he is a proud soldier of Rome. We've seen him before. Um, I'm sure some of our listeners, if they've watched Man Cave movies, they've seen him. He was in the uh, the 300. That's the first movie I ever saw him in. And I think he's kind of one of those guys that you're going to see in the next several years. He's going to be one of those up and coming actors. I think he's really, I think he's really good. I really like the guy. I mean, he's got a certain look about him. Uh, he definitely fit the part in this movie. And he's just got a good, rugged look about him. And for those of you who don't know who he is, he was David in Prometheus. So when we uh, when we reviewed Prometheus, that's who that was. Just uh, also, if I could throw in here, for uh, some other major movies he's been in, you know, man cave type movies, mm-hmm. he was in Inglorious Bastards. Okay, yep. 
It is also Magneto in X Men First Class. Ah. Came out what, in 2011. So, I mean, I saw him in that. I thought he did a good job in that. And you'll be happy to know that he um, he is also slated to be in the uh, next Prometheus movie. Well, of course he is. He has to because he's flying the ship. I thought we would all run out and see that together. <laughs> they really are moving forward with a new Prometheus movie? Yeah. Well, they have to. For God's sake, they can't leave us hanging on that last pile of shite. I'm pretty clear that my defense of that movie had pretty much turned you guys in favor, and I think the listening audience in favor of that pick. I think it's still in the appellate, in the appeals court right now. I, I think you are wrong. <laughs> and I cannot argue with that. But, um, you know, he's he's also coming out. Um, he, I guess Assassin's Creed um, mm. the, um, has oh. been announced to be a movie, and uh, he is apparently going to be one of the, if not the, starring role in that. And uh, he's going to be in the next X-Men movie that's coming out. Excellent. Good for him. Well, yeah. So he's got a lot of work in the next uh, in the next three years or two years. He's being tapped for about eight different roles. So, um, Steve, you are correct. Um, we're going to see a lot more of him. Yeah. Looking at his bio, I also realized he was also in Band of Brothers, one of my favorite miniseries. Was he really? Yes. No, seriously. Yes, he, seriously, he played Pat Christensen. Interesting. But no, I, I agree. I really like him. I think he's a pretty solid actor. I, I just like uh, the roles that I've seen him in. I thought he's done a fantastic job, and he did a great job in this. He was very believable as a Roman centurion in this movie. One of the other guys I want to talk about very briefly was Dominic West, and he played uh, General Titus Flavius Virilius, or Virilius. Virilius kind of sounds like a offshoot of Viagra or something like that, but uh Dominic West, for those of you who uh, don't know who he is, the only other movie I saw him in was also The 300. And he played the uh, uh, the, the, the bad, um, I don't know, Greek assemblyman who was kind of in cahoots with the, uh, well, with the Persians. Uh, he played a real asshole in that movie. He played a good guy in this one. He's got a pretty big part in the movie. You know, dies badly you know, about midway through, but... That's okay. I mean, he, he did a good role. Uh, I did like him. Oh, actually, also, one other person I want to mention real quick is uh, the guy that played Gorlikon. That is Ulrich Thompson. And we have two um, callbacks to the movie Hitman. Ulrich also played the Russian president in Hitman. Yes. We've got a couple of Hitman uh, references on this movie right off the bat. So there's that. But one person I do want to give uh, a quick shout-out to, and I've seen him in a few other movies, and his name is Liam Cunningham, uh, an Irish actor, and he's – I like this guy. I've seen him in several movies. Uh, I saw him in uh, a movie called Clash of the Titans. Uh, he played one of the um, uh, one of the Greeks that were a part of the party. He, I just like the guy. He's got a good look about him. He bring, I think he's one of those guys that brings gravitas to a movie. Uh, I saw him in Safe House. I saw him in a, kind of a bizarre movie called Dog Soldiers back uh, way back when. And he is also, for those of you who are watching Game of Thrones, uh, he is in that TV series. And he is uh, Seaworth, Sir Davos Seaworth. So for those of you who don't know who uh, Liam Cunningham is, he is in that. And I like this guy. I mean, he was one of those guys where, you, you know, you threw the Roman armor on him and you're like, yep, that, yep. He's he's a Roman soldier. 
I mean, he just didn't, he, he didn't even question it. He just looked at him and went, yep, that's him. Just wanted to give those guys a quick, uh, you know, quick shout out. Thought they all did a very good job. Again, my thoughts. Ken, you got something to say. You, you've danced all around it, but this movie follows a long-standing Hollywood trope concerning okay. the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And the, the phrase that usually is used to describe this trope is the, the centurions are all speaking the Queen's Latin. If you're putting together a movie and you need Roman soldiers, Roman senators, and people like that, you go to Britain, you hire a bunch of Brits. Because <laughs> that's who plays Romans in the movies. Sure. I mean, it hit me, you know, I was watching, you know, it was Easter weekend, and, you know, Ben Hur was on. I'm watching Ben Hur, and okay, he's in Rome. What do they speak with? Well, they speak with a British accent. You, know, you go to Judea, what do they speak with? They speak with an American accent. I noticed that in, um, oh, shit, what the hell is that damn Stalingrad movie? Um, Enemy at the Gates. And everybody in there had a British accent, except for the guy that played Khrushchev, which was Bob Hoskins, who was British, who actually spoke with a Russian accent. And it, <laughs> yeah. Da. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those where, like, the English accent or the British accent is supposed to be, like, universal foreign accent or something. Whereas, like, if you, you know, no matter what role that you're going to play, it's like if it's, you know, it could be Russian or German or whatever. Well, we'll just have them speaking in English or, or, you know, with a British accent. That'll work. Everybody will understand what it is. But I will make a point, which I, again, when I was talking about the details in this movie, the... Picts, when they're speaking, they're speaking Gaelic, which is about as close as you can get to ancient. I mean, it's a Celtic language. It's about as close as you can get to ancient Pictish. They didn't have to do that. They they could have easily sketched over that and just had them speak with a funny accent or something. But that was, again, part of the attention to detail that I really appreciated in this movie. You know, what I really wanted to, to tie in here with everything we've been saying is, there was a lot of effort put into this movie. This this could have easily been a terrible movie. But I really think that um, Neil Marshall, who was the director and writer of this, and uh, he may have even been part of the production, he seemed to have taken a lot of time and effort in making things right in this movie. Um, he had a very small makeup department um, he had a decent sized art department but what they lacked in size I think they made up for an effort in trying to make everything look as as authentic as you could for not knowing exactly what um, for not being able to base anything off of the of, of a look um, of either the pics or maybe what the Roman soldiers would have looked like I mean they, we have more information about Roman soldiers than we do the pics I don't know if, again, if they had these guys go out and roll in the mud and then go to bed and then get up the next day and then get their look. I don't know, but I really appreciate the way they make people look dirty. And this movie here, um, Ken um, let it off. One of the things I really, really liked about it is the way that it was shot. Um, it's almost like they toned down the white balance a lot and made it darker um, and took out a lot of the the ambient white light that there is. And this movie, it, it, it made it more dark, um, just just enough uh, in the sense of things that just the, all the blacks just seemed to kind of pop out a little bit more. And it made it gritty and dirty. 
and you saw that really through throughout the movie um, and I thought it added to um, or it just highlights how much effort they went to to get the right look and the right feel in all aspects of this because I think that this movie could have been pretty bad oh I agree with you Jeff I mean it's one of those things where it really could have been bad. One of the things that I really like about this movie is the fact that, like Ken said, the attention to detail. When you look at the Romans, the uniforms that they've got, the armor, everything, uh, the one thing that did bug me a little bit is when they did show the Roman legions marching out, they were carrying spears. Uh, at that point, uh, this is you know this is late Roman Empire. They were carrying, 120 AD. Yeah, this they weren't doing spears at that point. I mean, they were basically carrying pilum or pilum, and they were gladius. Uh, the the spears were pretty much done at that point. Um, the spears that's what the uh, triari used to carry, and that's early Roman. Actually, that's that's Roman Republic. Uh, at this point, they wouldn't have been carrying spears. And again, only a complete nerd like me is going to know something like that you know for the purposes of this movie you know i could you know i could live with it uh but the rest of it i mean the the uh the, the armor the helmets everything looked great and they one thing about this movie too that we that i will mention is that they didn't do a lot of cgi in this movie i mean you saw when you saw those roman columns march i mean those were real people marching there that wasn't that wasn't cgi I mean, you saw a ton of people, you know, dressed in Roman gear marching through the, the forest. So that did impress me, and I really did like that. And I also like the fact that this movie was shot on site. You know, Ken mentioned before, cinematography is fantastic in this movie. I mean, Scotland, good Lord, what a beautiful country. Um, I mean, it's beautiful, but it's also, you know, well, I guess it's desolate and barren. Yeah, if you were if you're a Roman in the northern part of it marching through, it'd be like this place sucks. Jesus, get me. That. Well, th- this shows you know why the Romans, being intelligent, I mean, they got there. They were like, boy, this place is desolate and barren. Why even fight to conquer it? Let these barbarians sit here in their rocks and valleys, and we'll leave them alone. Right. Well, that's finally what Emperor Hadrian said, and it's like, you know what, right right about here is where the country starts to be like, you know what, we're going to screw it and build the wall. And you have Hadrian's wall. But no, it, it just is, um, well, again, that was the whole thing. I mean, the Romans have to conquer, so you know, they tried to conquer, and they failed. You know, if, if the Empire had studied Roman history, um, they would have left Endor alone and vacated it also i agree i, I want to make a point here along with what jeff said about how this could have been a horrible movie and i, I you've heard you, you know the listeners may not have heard me say this before but my fellow podcasters have heard me vent and if you just compare and contrast this movie with the god-awful mess that is king arthur that movie from about 2005, which again, similar setting, you know, they piled on the CGI, they overdid the warrior woman fighter character, while still getting some of the detail correct, just enough detail to just enrage me, going like, I know they could do this right, they could have done King Arthur right, but they chose to do it wrong. And with this and- movie... They chose to do it right, and they did it right. 
Can and I I got you that on Blu-ray. Should I take it back? Watch it. If you want to watch it, knock yourself out. I can't stand it. Because it is such a they had the budget, they had the actors, they had everything they needed to make a great movie, and then I thought, well, we can do better. What you're saying, Ken, is um, King Arthur is your uh, is your deep blue sea. Thank you. Yes, Jeff, you are correct. Oh, it just enrages wow. me whenever it comes up, and usually if I get talking, I just start sputtering and making nonsense after a while, so I'll be quiet at this point. It's when I see Deep Blue Sea on AMC, known as American Movie Classics, that's when my mind implodes. The word classic doesn't belong with it? Is oh that what my you're saying? God. I, it, if, if I knew where their headquarters was, if I cared that much, I would grab my pitchfork and torch. All right. I'm telling you, it does nothing but piss me off. You, what you're looking for is a a merger. You want to merge DOS boot with that, you know, puppet full of torpedoes. I, I want to I want to merge physics and reality with that movie, and actually get a decent movie. But I, I, I will, don't want I don't want to digress. Leave digressed. I do have to say that. For those of you that have not seen Deep Blue Sea, it is a horrible movie. But it does have a good Samuel L. Jackson death scene. <laughs> it is it is the only thing to see in that movie. The worst death scene ever. <laughs> About 15 seconds of quality and then the rest of it sucks. No. It's, it is it, it is well done for the shock value. Um, but it also defines how ludicrous that movie is. There's not even there's not even a word to describe how bad that movie is. And I'm serious. If I was to list if there's a million movies out there, I swear if I listed them from one to a million, I would start at the bottom because I know the exact movie. That it's there. It's at the bottom. It's Deep Blue Sea. There is nothing below it. Okay? You I can't find I can't find I mean, even Dark Star is at least hundreds above that, and that's a that's a terrible movie. Come back, come Sorry. back! All right, yeah. Oh my god! Oh my god! Hold on, I need speaking, a drink. Speaking of something bad, I just have to vent, which is th- this movie, and no, not Deep Blue Sea, but Centurion, does something which I don't like. I can understand it. And it happens in movies. You know, when I saw it, I was trying to think, okay, what movies have I liked where this happens? And I mean, the one that uh, popped into mind was Play Dirty, the Michael Caine World War II Desert Raider movie. Yes. But it's the whole premise of, you know, we are going to go through hell. We're going to undergo every struggle known to man. We're going to persevere. And then in the last scene of the movie, we're just going to get killed for no good reason. That makes me are you, sad. Are you talking yeah. about that last scene, the one, the one of the last? Yeah. Scenes? Okay, I understand it, but I don't like it. It's a Hollywood trope. You have to have one person left, because basically, folks, throughout this whole thing, is by the time it's all said and done, there's about what five or six of them that survived the the whole massacre. I think there's seven initially, and then one by one they get picked off. Yeah, they're they're getting. Picked off. 
I, I do have to point out, it's seven, and it is an interesting mix of characters. Yeah. It's not just generic Soldier 1 and generic Soldier 2. Each of them has a little bit of personality. They come from different places. They have a little bit of background. It was very... They did a good job of showing out of this whole legion, this is just who's left, and it's a mixed bag. Right. And like I said... I, I like that because they did um, – I thought the writers did a pretty good job of that one scene when they, you know, hunker down in that one cave for shelter for a while where, um, you know, uh, uh, Quintus, Quintus Diaz, who is uh, uh, Michael Fassbender, is kind of like doing the whole thing. It's like, all right, who are you guys? You know, what, what's your names? Where are you from? What, what, what's up with you? I mean, it's just they really did a pretty good job within about a two- or three-minute scene telling pretty much where everybody was from and what their motivations are. So I thought that was really good, and that was a good point, Ken. I mean, you had a little bit of diversity in this group. That goes to say, you know, the, the Roman Empire was a massive empire, and it touched on many cultures and lands, and they did a good job of showing that. Yeah. I just I appreciated that because a lot of movies tend to make the Roman Empire just, again, it's a bunch of Brits. <laughs> And, you know, they're supposed to be Latins, Romans, Italians, whatever. This showed, you know, it's, it's, they came from all over. Yeah, well, the Ro- I mean, a lot of the Roman army was, you know, a conglomeration of everything. I mean, you had a lot of auxiliaries in there. I mean, a lot of, the, you know, the, the core of the legion were Romans. But, you know, it was filled with a lot of, uh, you know, native troops from the areas that they conquered. So, yeah, you would have, you know, you had, you had a bunch of Greeks in there. You probably had a bunch of... Uh, uh, North Africans, you know, so on and so forth. So you're going to have that mixture that you saw in this movie. And I thought that was pretty neat. But one of the things that I really did like about this movie, and I talked about it before, again, was the production value. I thought they did a really good job of making these guys look the part of Roman soldiers. And everybody that they had in there looked good. Like I said, when you looked at that whole group, you know, the survivors that were trying to get back to, uh, you know, to their own lines. Every one of those guys looked the part. Nobody looked like a pretty boy. Nobody looked like, again, like I told Ken offline before, as I said, it, you know, when you when you had Michael Fassbender, I mean, he's playing Quintus Diaz. He's playing a Roman centurion. And a centurion at that point was, he was pretty much what, your color sergeant? sergeant oh, Mc- no, no, a centurion would be the equivalent of a captain. Captain? Okay, so they were basically... Yeah, he's a, a man that commands 100 men. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you're talking about an officer, I mean, but he looked the part. He didn't look like, and I'll just say it right now, he didn't look like, you know, frat boy Matt Damon playing Jason Bourne. I'm just not... I just don't buy him in that role. But when you see Michael Fassbender in this role, it's like, man, he does. He looks like a Roman centurion. I mean, the haircut, everything looked great. And he was believable. And everybody in this movie, and that's what I loved about it, is everybody was believable in the roles that they played because they looked the part. And that's a big thing with me in movies. When you cast somebody for a certain role, they got to look the part. Steve, when, when we were talking, we, we, we obviously compared this movie to a movie that came out about the same time called uh, The Eagle. Yeah. And one of the reasons you didn't care for that movie, and, and I thought it was just okay, I think we talked about was the was the lead actor who yeah. who didn't fit the role. And if they maybe had put someone there that did fit the role, that wasn't the baby face cute boy, that may it may have come off a little bit better. I, I think it would have. 
I thought the storyline was good. I thought it was a little, I thought it was a little far fetched, but I mean, I, I could get along with it because, like I said, I'm I'm a big fan of anything Roman Empire or Rome. I get into that. I can get beyond the storyline, but yeah, like you said, uh, Jeff, um, God, what the hell's his name? Uh, the, 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 Channing Tatum. Channing. Okay, you know that it just. <laughs> You lost me right off the bat. I'm like, I'm looking at this guy going, no, you're, you're not, you're not a Roman legionnaire. Just doesn't work for me. Well, I'm just going to say, you know, I saw the Eagle. I think an Eagle is based on the same background, same place. It's a different take on the same sort of basic plot. Right. Uh, It's worth catching. It's, it's not a bad movie. It's, I'm, I'm, I thought it was okay. It's not as good as this movie. Right. Of the two, it's the better one. By, I mean, the Centurion is the better one by far, but it's worth catching, I, I think. See, Ken, I, I agree with you, and that's what that's what uh, Steve and I talked about. Uh, for me, it was it was I was it was okay. But one thing I wanted to point out: the great thing about the Ninth Legion, as Steve said at the at the beginning, there there. There, there's a lot of theories on what happened. One of the, one of them is what we're dealing with here is they, they marched up into uh, Picklin and were decimated, um, or they just disappeared. One of the two, something happened to them. Another, you know, and, and the other theories are they, they ended up um, being, um, they end up getting wiped out in Germania or further out east. There, there's all kinds of theories. The one thing I like about this legend. Is you can do anything with it really, because there's no hard answer on what exactly happened to it. And for that matter, they could come up with a movie about the Ninth Legion meeting a dragon and fighting it and being destroyed, and it would still work in a sense because nobody knows what really happened aside from aliens coming down or dinosaurs, you know, eating them. Um, the, you know, anything else. Any other story you can come up with, whether it's in the Eagle or whether it's in Centurion, it can work because there's no there's no hard or fast answer. Yeah, you are correct, and that's a is it, to me it was a neat thing. Again, the idea that you know, and I'm a student of history, so the idea that a legion disappeared and no one knows what happened is an interesting hook because. Through Roman history, there were a number of times where legions went out, and they just got wiped out, and that was the end of it. But for the most part, history records where they died. I mean, I can remember reading a thing, you know, years back where, you know, historians were able to trace this one unit over a thousand years. It was a single unit that existed from, like, you know, the Roman Republic to the Byzantine Empire nonstop, and the, the paper trail is there. But when one disappears, that, that creates an air of mystery and such. It's been mined with, in, uh, essentially, science fiction and all has mined this pretty heavily. There's a ser- there's several sci-fi series. I mean, one being Janissary, you know, Jerry Purnell's Janissaries, where you know a Roman legion was picked out by aliens or something and hauled off for some nefarious purpose. And I'm all over that. I mean, whenever I bump into those kind of stories. Bring it on. I think that's a good idea. There's some others like uh, Ranks of Bronze, I think, was one. Uh, the Lost Regiment. There's a, there's a number of these storylines where that happens. No, that's a good point, Ken. I agree with you. I like that idea of, um, especially from a sci-fi standpoint, um, uh, 
and I've thought about that before too with this one is uh, when I was watching this uh, for the first time, I thought, boy, you know what? Whatever happened to the Ninth Legion? Oh, Jerry Purnell knows. <laughs> I mean, because yeah, I, I thought it about went to what, what the Tran or whatever and subjugated the natives. Right. They went to Tran. And Bring on that stuff. And I will, I'll put in a plug for something, again, my fellow podcasters have heard. But if Hollywood would just take Jerry Purnell's book, Genesaries, translate it word for word into a script and make it with state-of-the-art CGI and no attempt to improve it, it would be an awesome movie. But that's just me. What the heck do I know? Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, there's, uh, compared to some of the other schlock that's out there, um, definitely hit it. You definitely hit it there. So, guys, I want to move on a little bit of trivia about this movie because there, there's some interesting stuff about this. There's not a lot of trivia, but there's some, there is some, and it is, uh, fairly interesting. Um, number one, I want to, mentioned is the picks in this film are speaking Scots Gaelic. Uh, no written record of the Pictish language exists. However, historians believe the modern language most similar to theirs is Welsh. Uh, director Neil Marshall thought viewers would be confused by a tribe in Scotland speaking Welsh. I don't know. I wouldn't probably ever figure it out myself. But th- again, this movie was made... It's a, a a British movie, so I don't know. Maybe they maybe they would pick that up there. I wouldn't know. Well, that. if you if you really go back in history, the Scots migrated out of Ireland, so they could have just as easily had these people speaking Irish Gaelic. But still, the same thing would apply. Why are these Scotsmen speaking Irish? I mean, it's a good thing. Again, like I said, I. I like it when they're at least trying to get into at least the linguistic group that the people actually spoke rather than just giving them a weird accent or speaking gibberish. No, I agree with you, Ken. I think that does add to this movie that they did try, and you did see that in there, that they did try to make this movie look very much like that period, you know, where people looked and sounded like they did in that period. Um you know, one of the things I did like too, again, was just the whole fact that this was shot on location. This was shot in Scotland, and it was shot under some pretty severe conditions. And we'll talk about that here. So there was no, you know, there's no sound stage, there's no CGI. It was shot on, you know, shot on location. So that makes a big difference to me. Uh, let's see. The working title for the film was Ninth Legion. The story goes that the Ninth Legion uh, marched to Scotland. Uh, from York with 3,000 men and were never seen again. Historians dispute what actually happened to them. Some believe they were disbanded, while others believe they were massacred. So, you know, that's the, that's the basis of it. Like I said, you know, nobody really knows what happened to this legion. There is, uh, speculation, as they say. Uh, prosthetics, help me out here, guys. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't say it's sober. Thank you. Designer Paul Hyatt, was thrilled to be part of the production as it afforded him to uh, make slashed throats, chopped arms, decapitations, head slicings, arrows in the necks, axes in necks, burnings, and head crushings. He ultimately went through 200 liters of fake blood. There you go. But this movie was very heavy on the fake blood and gore. And I really think they, they sat there and thought, well, 300 did really well, and it had tons of this, so we'll put it in because that's what people want. And maybe they do. It was reminiscent to me of 300 about the battle scenes. 
every time there's a blow, there's a splatter of blood, you know. I'm going to guess it does play to a certain demographic. For me, it was a little overdone. It was. I mean, I, I got the message that this is uh, this is going to be a, uh, a brutal show. Um, there is one scene um, when we uh, we see our, our girl Olga, who is uh, chasing down some, uh, some 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 escapees, and she is uh, in the process of, uh, of of taking them out. She she seems to be. Uh, it, it seems that this may be her first action scene. And she seems to be a little timid in trying to decapitate this guy's head. And just by the the way she's going about swinging her uh, her weapon, it just seemed to be that she was um, uh, you know, trying to swat a, a a spider and trying to you know you know do the high kicks at the same time, trying not to uh, have it crawl on her. It was really it was really kind of a funny scene for me. This makes last week's buckets of blood movie. Um, look like a Disney special. I, I, and Jeff, I know the part you're talking about because I actually watched that scene again. Do you honestly think this is actually bloodier than Braveheart? Um, yes. I actually think this is a lot bloodier than Braveheart. Really? I mean, in Braveheart, you see a guy's leg get whacked off. Um, I mean, you have you have some very intimate, bloody scenes in Braveheart. But I think that this is... This is much bloodier than Braveheart. Ken, what do you think? There's a quantity. It's like every time somebody swings a bladed weapon, you know, somebody's head gets cleaved in two or an arm flies off and, you know, a hydraulic burst of blood is splattering out. I, I, on one le- I know what they're shooting for. They're trying to show that fighting in the ancient world with bladed weapons, you got to get in close. It was brutal. It was bloody. It was gory. But they overdid it. It was, it was just overdone. The hydraulic, again, the hydraulic sprays of blood. And, you know, even with a long sword, you would have a tough time lopping limbs off with one single blow. And, you know, this movie, they're doing that every time they swung a weapon, it seemed. So it was overdone. Now, am I saying, oh, my gosh, it just ruins the movie for me? No, the movie was okay. I was fine. Overall, I'm fine with it. It's just that where they got a lot of other stuff very realistic, and we've commented on that, when it came to showing the damage in the fighting, it was overdone. Hit me with a a gladius and, you know, put a a six-inch gash through my abdomen, I'm still going to die. You don't have to show me cleaving my head off with one blow or something like that. You know, I'll give you that part. And that is something that is overdone, I think, in pretty much any movie. A lot of movies, especially anything that has to do with the medieval period or whatever, you know, they're big on lopping off heads and lopping off body parts. Again, uh, it, it looks easy in the movies, hard to do in real life. I mean, and human bodies are a lot tougher than that. And like I said, you just don't start lopping off heads because you're going through a lot of muscle, you're going through a lot of bone, and it just doesn't happen. I mean, it's just that's just a fact of life. But I'm not going to hold that against this movie because, you know what, they all do that. All the movies do it. I don't care. I mean, how they were doing a flipping gladiator. Uh, and, you know, we all love that movie. And it's just, it's Hollywood. That's just production value. So I, I just kind of look at that. It's like, yep, that's, you know, that's a signature part of those type of movies. I will say it's probably better than the old Hollywood 
where it would have been very sanitary and clinical, you wouldn't see any gore or anything. And that's probably given a false impression in the other way. Right. When I say I don't think it was overdone, I'm basing my uh, comments on other movies of you know that depicted this era or the medieval period. I don't think it was overdone. I mean, yeah, there's... You see the blood spray and everything like that. It was almost shot. The battle scenes were almost shot in that Private Ryan type of um, look. You know, everything, you know, very fast motion, stuff like that. You know, they didn't linger on, you know, specific scenes. To be honest with you, I thought actually, if you guys remember, we did Ironclad. Hell, I thought Ironclad was actually a hell of a lot more bloodier and gorier than this. Moving on. Soundtrack, don't want to spend too much time on this because... I thought the soundtrack was good in the sense of not something you're ever going to get on your iPod, but I thought it um, I thought it fit the movie. I mean, it just it was good mood music. I mean, it just it was there. It didn't distract. It didn't take away from the movie, but it wasn't anything to write home about. Yeah, I thought it was very appropriate for the movie. Um, I, I I mean it. Yeah, I think you're right. It wasn't it wasn't iPod download worthy, but at the same time, um, it wasn't. It wasn't bad. It wasn't distracting, uh, but I, I think it was. I think it was okay. Same here. I thought it was good. I mean, it wasn't awesome, but it was solid, and it did put the right mood into the scenes. So, with that, gentlemen, we have to ask, brother, what you drinking, Mister Roney? You right there, ask. The usual. I thought I had some wine, some white wine in the uh, fridge, and I was going to drink wine because the Roman army marched on wine. Yes. But then it was like, well, no, I don't. I haven't really drank it up, and I didn't feel like opening up a fresh bottle at this point because I wouldn't drink it fast enough, so I just fell back to my usual. Vanilla vodka and Diet Coke. Well, it works. It works. Uh, Mr. Munson, what do you got there, sir? I return to the magic box. That has the uh, first week or the first quarter's uh, uh, beers in it, and I've been uh, you know, going through these for the podcast tonight. I have a a beer from Fuller's. It's a London Porter. Nice. And this it it's a mixture of coffee and chocolate together, and it, it as a porter. And did you know your eyes are twinkling as you describe this? <laughs> I want to go out and buy like a case of this stuff. It is really good. What's the name of it? Fuller's London Fuller's. Porter. London Porter. I think it comes out. Like Fuller's is uh, for all of our uh, English cousins uh, from across the pond. You lads at Fuller's, you guys make some good beer. ESB. Is. Now I got to get this stuff. He's got me. Some. It is really good. I haven't had um, their porter, and it. And I've been saving this one because I thought, man, this is going to be good. And they did not disappoint. Not at all. I think the alcohol content is fairly low. It's, it's at a 5.4. You know, it, it's more for taste and not for uh, to knock your socks off. But it's, oh, man, it is so good. Excellent. Like it. Uh, let's see. Gentlemen, what I'm drinking tonight is, uh, to be honest with you, this has been sitting in my fridge since uh, St. Patty's Day. It is a, um, it's called the Brian Boru. It is a, uh, a beer by uh, Three Floyds up in the, mm. the region. 
northwest Indiana called Munster, Indiana. It's an Irish-style red ale. I'm not a huge fan of red ales, but you know what? If Three Floyds makes it, I'll drink it. doesn't matter what it is. Cause these it's not a Celtic, which is sort of in with the movie. Exactly, Ken, and that's why I decided for this movie, I'm going to break this one out because, you know what, like you said, the Scots came from Ireland. They, they decided, you know, you know, we're going to leave Ireland and we're going to go to Scotland. Because if it's not Scottish, it's crap. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you right now, this one's really good. I really like this. Uh, I am not, I will confess, I am not a huge fan of red ales, but this one's pretty good. It's got a nice balance of hops in there. And I know I've talked before that I'm I, I'm losing my taste for IPAs. I'm not really crazy about them. And this one's got just enough hoppiness in there to give it some really good flavor. And I really like it. Uh, I have no idea. That's why I've been holding the bottle in front of me because I can't find the damn uh, uh, alcohol content on this, on this bad boy. But um, I'm sure it's up there somewhere. I do like the label. It's got a gorgeous label. In fact, I think I'm going to actually have that label peeled off. And <laughs> but, but yeah, I, it's it's pretty good. So for those of you who have never had the uh, uh, Brian Boru, I highly recommend it. And anything by Three Floyds. Uh, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, these guys do good beer. I've had several of their beers. There's none of them that I would say that ah, I would never drink that. I would drink anything by Three Floyds. You know, including IPAs or anything that they give. I mean, all their stuff is really good. Very much enjoy them. In fact, I think next time I'm up in the uh, region to visit my my mom, I'm going to uh, drive over there and see if they'll give me a tour and a free growler or something. All right, so that's what we were uh, drinking, folks. We had, uh, you know, Ken with his uh, usual uh, Diet Coke and vodka. Jeff yeah, with his ESB with a great new porter that I am dying to try out now. And um, and I've had the Brian Boru, so there you go. Now you know what we're drinking. Mark, I don't know what you're drinking, but I'm sure it's a lot. So uh, here's to Mark. Cheers. All right. It is time for Clips, our favorite part of the show. And I've got some uh, pretty decent ones here. Uh, I had to, I had to dig around in this movie a little bit for Clips, but I found a few good ones. Uh, one thing that I did like about this movie is they did throw a little bit of contemporary language in there, but I'm sure there are uh, Latin words that um, that fit in for some of these, so we'll uh, we'll we'll just let you hear them. So uh, this is number one. Two years in the frontier. This place is the asshole of the world. Even the land wants us dead. Not sure. I think it was better put in troops. <laughs> Did he say the same thing in that one, too? Yes. Uh, All that was about Alderaan. Oh, yeah. Or no, Tatooine. Tatooine. Yeah, Tatooine. I'm sorry. They were finding more villainous hive, or more, you know, villainous hive of scum and villainy or something like that. Can't believe I don't have that quote down. Yeah, I'm I'm ashamed. All right, number two. Damn, that'll sober a man up quick. When will people learn what the f*** with the ninth? Wow. Did, did they ha- did they have that word back then? Well, that's what I. Oh, they had an equivalent. <laughs> I'm sure they. That's did. that's a that's a human uh, constant. Number three, I like this part. This is a scene when one of the guys, actually one of the uh, the assholes of the group, for whatever reason, thought going up to the uh, the, the the Pictish scout, who is uh, got a big sharp spear, 
thought, for whatever reason, that unzipping is, well, if they had flies back then, but I, you know what? I, I just, that's not something I would ever do. And he found out the hard way. <laughs> I think that's picked for f*** off. <laughs> you must be a good scout if you can find your c- I think it's love. <laughs> Did you remember that scene? Favorite favorite line in that movie, I think. Must be a good scout if you can find your beep. Yeah. It's like, why would you even think that was a good idea to do? Well, she had such a look of just disgust and disdain on yeah, her face. It's, it's like, you know what? Why don't you just go over to the wood chipper next door? It's like that basically <laughs> is what's going to happen to you. It's like, you dumbass. Oh, my God. What a moron. All right. Uh, number four. Sorry, we couldn't get here sooner. Are you the relief call? Not quite. I'm Titus Flavius Virilis, commander of the Ninth Legion. Come here looking for a fight. And you'll be They got one. <laughs> yeah, they got one, all right. I like this little uh, line that one of the uh, uh, centurions says about the general. I've never seen the general so beloved of his men. Well, in training he is our scholar. At the feast he is our father. In the ranks he is our brother. And in battle he is the god we pray to save our souls. I thought that's really good. That's good writing. Yeah, that's what the people at the office say about me. Is it really? <laughs> wow. No, no, not quite. Not quite. Not it's quite. more like, who's he? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, he's he been here for 30 years. <laughs> he's head of his department. He just won this national award. You haven't heard of he it? Has, no. He has a red swing line stapler. He has a red swing line stapler. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Here we go. Here we go. Ken, you gotta, Ken, all you gotta do is get those big ass like Coke bottle glasses, and you'll be all set. I'm, I'm there. We, we actually had a guy at the office that very similar, <laughs> looked almost identical. We kept on going, like, "It's Milton." <laughs> all right, number he's, six. He's no longer with us. Well, hold on, Steve. Hold on. You know the, the quote or the uh, the clip you just played. You know that comes a little bit after. Um, there's this arm wrestling scene. Yes. And um, all I can say is you do not want to be a sore loser around that guy. <laughs> yeah. It was not completely unexpected uh, what was going to happen, but um, uh, nonetheless, it was uh, when you – nonetheless, um, it, was, it was pretty uh, – it was a pretty impressive scene. And and I like the quote that the uh, the the one his uh, his his second gave, which was, "What are you waiting for? A direct order? Or what are you waiting for? An order? You know, go in there and get the guys, and you know the the, the melee ensues." Yeah, yeah. No, that was a great scene. I love that. Part. I do have to point out Virilis. You know, the, the head of the legion's name Virilis. That's pretty much. I mean, you you touched on it before, but actually, it's pretty much Latin for manly or virile. Right. And he was a pretty manly sort of guy. Yeah, he was. Uh, let's see, number six. This is um, when they were, this is the scene in the cave where they were talking about everybody, uh, or trying to get the, you know, get to know everybody. And uh, the guy that uh, Liam Cunningham played, his name was Brick. And they asked about his name, and um, uh, he gave an explanation. So I like this part here. What kind of name is that anyway? Sure, sir. 
Ubra Kulius. Your mother must have been wise. She was a fucking comedian. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I, and that guy, God, I was just so upset when he died in the end. Because it is, he, he just was that dude where he just kind of brought that gravitas around the group. And I just thought he was cool. Loved him. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is uh, Quintus Diaz talking about Olga Korilenko, who plays Etan. Etain, like the wolf, has learned to hunt from birth. It is part sense, part instinct. She can read the terrain, search for signs of passing, run her quarry to ground, and close in for the kill. Now she hunts Romans. <laughs> you know, that, that, <laughs> that really summed up. That girl was like the Terminator. You know what, Jeff? That's an excellent analogy. She was like the Terminator. She won't stop. She won't sleep. She won't eat. She just keeps coming. Yeah, I want to make a point, though, which I liked about this movie. And again, not to keep harping back to the god-awful mess that was King Arthur. <laughs> but in the movie King Arthur, Kira Knightley's bikini-clad warrior princess duped it out with chainmail, armored, sword-swinging Saxon warriors and took them down like by droves. <laughs> without getting a scratch. Attain had some success, and then not so much. I like the fact that they didn't make her out to be the ultimate warrior princess. Right. I mean, she, she had some skills, and in the right circumstances, she could you know, do a decent job, but you know, she wasn't invincible. And so many, you know, I hate to say it, but you know, a lot of movies nowadays make the, the, the warrior woman just this invincible, vulnerable, invincible force. Right. And in the Middle Ages, that wasn't so much the case. You saw that in that fight when they did the, you know, when they captured uh, the the general, when they captured Virilius, they basically put him in a cage match. I mean, they gave him a weapon, then they put, her, you know, put him up against her. I mean, she ends up killing him, but, you know, like, you know, we said is that, you know, he had been chained up against a rock all night. I mean, he's been exposed to the elements. He's been beat up. Christ, he was in the battle the day before. They just had, slashed him with knives. Yeah, I mean, I mean he's been geez. beat up. I mean, and he damn near beat the crap out of her. I mean, it wasn't one of those where, you know, she went in there. It wasn't necessarily a foregone conclusion. I mean, she may have thought it was, but he put up a good fight. He put the You could have easily seen him taking her out. Yeah. The way they staged the fight, it wasn't like, Oh, this poor man is just outclassed by this, you know, ultimate warrior woman. It's like she was struggling and he yeah. was getting his licks in, but in the end, of course, he died because he had to for the movie to progress. Yeah. Well, part of it is she had the superior weapon in that fight, too, so. Did she? Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Give me a Neptune's spear over that Gladius any day, dude. Those long weapons, I mean, sure, they're good, but once you get inside, um, and get inside position. I mean, they're unwieldy. You you can't use the point. And of course, he you know his, his death scene. Th- there's a couple of death scenes with that trident. Yeah, you know, one more of, of a through, fancy spear. It was a fancy spear. There's one part where you know it basically goes through some guy's head. I mean, you know, again, it, there's there's some brutal scenes in this movie. But you know, he he took her to task. And again, the only two people that I think she outright. Well, she did in the creek. She did, um, you know, smack the spider a few times with her axe. But which again, that was just kind of comical. I thought. 
but the the scene with the uh, with the slave in the tent when we first in, get introduced to her, <laughs> I, mean, I don't think the head just you know rolled off his head, but um, you know we got the point literally, <laughs> or maybe he literally got the point, pun intended. He did. He did. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, real quick, back to clips number eight. This is when they're on the run. They're very tired, and um, you know one of the guys is falling behind and. One of the Romans, uh, one of the Roman soldiers, uh, suggested that uh, he can take care of the uh, the one that's slowing him down. He's slowing us down. Just say the word and I'll take care of it. We live united or die divided, starting with you. And I'll tell you what, Jeff. I want to I want to go back to that. We talked about that early on. You know, that was the one guy that was like, "I'll I'll take care of it." Yeah. Remember how he ended up dying? Because another another Roman used him. Oh yeah, turnabout. Yeah, his turnabout was fair play. It was just like, yeah, that was pretty ugly. I mean, but it was one of those things where you realize it's like, okay, I see what you did. There was, a, I mean, even though that these guys were on the run, there was a couple of them that were they were all about themselves and they didn't care about anybody else. You know, there was one group that was they were trying to help all everybody, and there was a couple of others that were just like. They'll stab you in the back the minute they could to save themselves. So well, that, that's what I liked about it was it was a mixed bag. They show okay, the legion's gone. These are the few survivors, but it's a mixed bag. They all survive for their own reasons. They all have their own various histories, and skills, talents, and attitudes. You're right. And I thought I mean I'm, I'm surprised that they hung together as long as they did. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Good point. All right, number nine. It's hopeless. Hopeless. Hopeless is what they sing songs about, write poems about. Hopeless is the stuff of legend, Bathos. And being a legend will get you laid. <laughs> there you go. Love that. See, I love a little bit of that contemporary stuff that they throw on there. Being a legend will get you laid. You can play guitar, that'll work too. All right, number 10, the last one here. I just love this part. This is the scene when they uh, come across the, uh, the, the outcast pick that uh, befriends them. And I just thought this was kind of a funny scene. Where I come from, it's considered rude to interrupt a man mid-flow. Where I come from, it's considered only fair to warn a man when he's passing on his breakfast. <laughs> and she's she's out there catching fish with her bare hands. Well, that's how you did it back then. They didn't have fishing poles. She, she had a nice little little hovel there in the woods. She did, and I really liked her. I, I liked that accent. I liked her hair. Although she had the, she had the most undisheveled hair that you saw. She was even with that big ass scar down the side of her face. She was smoking hot, and that accent yeah. just really piled that on. I was like, "Holy cow!" I think I fell in love. True. She wasn't speaking any Gaelic Gaelic uh, speech. She was speaking good, good English with a little bit of an Irish accent. It worked. Yeah, it did. It worked for me. God knows it worked for me. Um, but moving on. Uh, all right, so folks, that is it with clips. It is now time for the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. Yeah. Number one, did anyone jump out of a window? Oh, for Christ's sake, it's Roman period. They didn't even have windows. In fact, they were out in the woods. They didn't even have, there wasn't even a window hobble to throw them out of. <laughs> so... Now they, they jumped through some, you know, the, the doors of some huts, but that's that's the closest there was. And, I mean, a door is not a window. No, it is not a window. All right, 
So no window jumping. Number two, was there an irrelevant female role in the movie? I would say no. I, I, um, I, uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say um, the Stevie Nicks character <laughs> was the irrelevant role in the movie. Are you talking about the hot chick that I was just talking I am, about? I am talking about your hot chick in the woods. Jeff is correct. Oh my! If you if you went and just snipped out that fifteen minutes of time they were at her little hovel in the woods, the movie would flow along just fine, and you wouldn't miss anything. No, no, no! I totally. <laughs> I well, I'm standing up for her in this one because let's hear why. I'll, I'll tell you why. All right, I'm I'm going to defend this. Shit, where's my lawyer? Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can defend it because they did. They came across her. I mean, they were pretty much at their end, and they found a place that they could hole up, and it was. It was a picked, and, but she was an outcast. You saw a different side of the picks. I mean, because they had their own, um, you know, their own brutality, too. They just didn't like her, so they cast her out because they thought she was a witch. So she's helping them. And you saw the connection that her and Michael Fassbender had. And at the very end, Michael Fassbender ends up leaving, he fled Rome's service at the very end to hook up with her because he had nowhere else to go. Because at the very end of this movie, folks, is that Michael Fassbender is the only one that survives this. And when he gets back to the Roman lines and the Romans find out, you're the only survivor of the whole legion that just got wiped out? Well, okay, well, we can make up a story of what happened in the Lanth Legion, but if you're still alive... That story's not going to flow, so we're going to we're going to kill you. And they actually try to assassinate him, and he, you know, realizes, all right, well, I've got nowhere else to go, so he basically goes back back up into uh, uh, Scotland and just settles down with her. So I thought she was very relevant. She was his salvation. I, I see that point, and she was hot. I will admit that. Nice to look at. Added a little bit of a love interest, which up till now, you know, Hollywood likes to have the love interest, and this movie was, you know, a dark and barren, loveless jaunt for most of its time. So I, I can see why they put that in. They could have left that part out. Another sort of minor gripe about this is that whole way they wrapped up. I was like, oh my gosh, well, we, we, we must kill him because he's the only survivor. It is better that no one knows. Well, I hate to say it, but I mean, I, I have to figure the Roman Empire was a bureaucracy. And you know, if you're the governor of Britain and the, you know, the auditor comes from Hadrian saying, Hey, by the way, whatever happened to this whole legion we left you? Just saying like, that eh, sort of disappeared. We don't know. I mean, your ass is grass no matter what you answer. It doesn't matter if you got a story or not. You're going to be toast. I didn't buy that whole plot. Okay. Here, here's why this girl's irrelevant. It adds to the complete cheese factor at the end of the movie where there's an assassination attempt on him, which we're, we're talking about because we can't let, we can't let this get out that we lost a legion, blah, whatever. It, complete cheese factor that, okay, well, now he's going to go back to Stevie Nicks and he's going to shack up with her back in Picklin and that's how we're going to end this. It's basically he lives happily ever after. That baloney right there. Um, to to meet her for the sole purpose for him at the end of the movie, we can keep the hero alive and have a place that he can go to. Just go back home. 
find a way to go back home to your family in Rome or wherever the hell you you know they picked you up from and enslaved you from or whatever, and live your happily ever after life there. You're gonna go back to Pickland, the place that you've been escaping to get away from because they've been hunting you down. I found it very cheesy. I found it uh, actually highly annoying, to be honest, that they took this cheap because I thought it was cheap. Not only was it cheesy, I thought it was a cheap way out to have the hero live with Stevie Nicks at the end. you got to remember something. He wasn't just an average Roman soldier. He was a centurion. I mean, he was known. I mean, they talked about that a little bit in the movie. Everybody knew who his father was. He couldn't just go back to Rome. Well, no, he, he could flee to Judea. Well, Because in Judea, he would have all the glories of Rome because everybody knows what did the Romans ever do for Judea. Oh, my well, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, he gave us roads. Law and order. <laughs> Sewers. Well, besides all that. Do you know what civil society streets were like before the Romans came here? You couldn't walk down the street. I had to open that up. I knew it would get you guys going. Yeah. <laughs> no, I. But for those of you listeners who don't know what we're talking about, this is another Roman era movie. The Life of Brian, life of a different take on the Roman Empire. That's just it. He could have, if he got away, he could have, yes, he's a known guy, but he could have holed up all over the place. Well, he holed up in Picklin because, you know, there was the hot Stevie Nicks chick. She There's had, that. You know what? She she didn't look anything like Stevie Nicks. Dude. No, but she, she, she was a witch. She had the hair. She was a witchy woman. And... <laughs> I'm coming over there, Muncie. I'm coming over. Oh, she, <laughs> if know, she just she, sang and spun in circles, she, the whole circle would be complete. Right, no, so I, I'm actually, between the two of you, I can see why they did it. But I'm also with Jeff, like I said in the beginning. They could have chopped that out and Boogie would have been fine. All right. You know what? I'm just skipping number four. We're going number five. All right. Did this movie know what it wanted to do? I would say, yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, it did fine until the end when we have to save Fastbender and send him off to Stevie Nicks. But beside that, yeah, they knew exactly what they wanted to do. I think they intended for him to have to go back and see Stevie Nicks and live with her. But I don't think that it was necessary. It was not well done. Again, I just didn't like the way it was. Okay, all of a sudden, you know, boom, one guy dies for no good reason. The other guy right. turns out to be a tree. You know, it's like everybody dies in the end except the one guy that he's got to flee because – political intrigue that he can't control, which, I mean, movies love to throw this stuff in there. You know what, Ken? You're you're actually right. Oh, here we go. I totally agree with you. You know what? They don't know how they want to end this movie. That is the one part of this movie where it's like they didn't know what they wanted to do. And I, I'm assuming that they did, but they didn't. I think if they did know what they wanted to do, I think they did it poorly at the end. If they did know what they wanted to do, it's clear that at the end they're like, well, we got to off these guys somehow. By the way, I like Stevie Nicks. I'm just saying. I'm telling you guys right now, you're just breaking my heart right now, but that's all right. They could have ended the movie on a different tone. I hate to say it, but if you want, you know, Stevie Nicks, I hate to keep dragging that down, he could have come back. They could have welcomed him. He could have brought her back to live in civilization, away from the barbarity of the Picts. And you know, had a nice villa on the on the Mediterranean. I mean, they could have ended this all different ways, but what they did was sort of sloppy, in my opinion. It could have been done better. 
We have to go on. Number six, did George Lucas steal any part of this movie for Star Wars? Well, right off the bat, the picks were the Ewoks, so there you go. Well, and again, well, the, the Roman soldiers were the, uh, obviously the stormtroopers. I mean, the, that armor was supposedly designed to, to, to deflect arrows and also to, to deflect basically, you know, small thrown weapons like axes. And actually what they were is they were giant magnets for those things. <laughs> I could buy that this legion was, you know, is ambushed and killed and everything else. But even with that, those picks should have been taken three to one casualties. There should have been mountains of picks piled up while the Romans are going down. And the Romans just were to die. I mean, yeah. and that was, that was the thing that did kind of bug me. You know, they, they, the guys that get free, you know, there's a scene where it's a, well, we must move fast. You know, throw away your armor and all your weapons. It's like, I'd be going like, ah, maybe not. Maybe I'll keep this, you know. Might help. <laughs> According to the movie, I mean, it was the best thing they could have done. Because, sure. I mean, up to that point, I mean, it wasn't stopping shit. You know what? If George Lucas had studied Roman history, um, he would have never landed on Endor. Okay? That's all I'm saying. There you go. Discussion brings up a sore spot with me, and I'll bet it. It's the same with Steve and maybe you, Jeff, but that is in movies where you're depicting Roman legionnaires fighting barbarians. Almost without fail, the Romans break ranks and just go into a melee slugfest, where in reality, the Roman system was, it was mechanical. It was drilled into these guys. You lock your shield, you you, you use your moves. One of the few times I've ever seen it shown in a movie or TV series was the very beginning of the uh, HBO series Rome, where they started with a fight against the Gauls, and they've got the scene where, you know, the the Romans are fighting, and one guy breaks loose because he's a great warrior, and he's going to do his moves, and, you know, the next scene, they show that guy, he's locked up in a cage, you're going to, you know, kill him for breaking ranks, because that's not the way you fought. And that's a disappointment to me. They did it in this movie. They do it in about every movie where the Romans are shown fighting. They break ranks and just go into a melee, and that's not the way the Romans fought. No. All right, last, because this is the longest checklist we've ever done. Number seven, was there a B5 reference? Mr. Monson, nope. talk to us. Nothing? Nope, nothing. Nope. I was surprised, actually. Yeah. I was laying money. Olga Kirilenko was from the old Russian Republic, and Ivanova was Russian, sort of, so there's that. How's that? Wow. You're not buying it. I, I'm, I'm weak. That was really reaching. All right, folks, that is it for the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. It is now time for our review of this great and fantastic film. Ken, I'm going to shoot over to you, sir. Well, I sort of opened with the comments on the fact that I, again, I like this movie on a bunch of different levels for different things, and rather than repeat myself, I'll just say I still believe that. We've given it a good, I think we've, Picked out the good and bad of this for those of you. If you, if this sounds interesting, I certainly can highly recommend watching it. I think you'll be entertained. If you hear things that you just don't think are your bag, well, you know it's not your kind of a movie. But I liked it a lot, and I give it an eight. Oh, excellent! Like it, Jeff. Uh, this movie, um, I I had not seen. I had put it on the list to see, and I'm glad that we have this podcast going so I can actually check movies off that I'm somewhat interested in seeing that you guys bring up. Uh, and I checked it out this last week, uh, and I was not disappointed. I didn't think I would be. Um, and the, the, the strengths of this movie are 
um, in the in the way that it is filmed. Uh, the story is pretty cohesive, and the acting is really well done. Um, the the music is you know it's it is is very appropriate for the movie. It's it's okay, and um, you know the setting, the scenes are 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 laid out very well. And like you said, it's you know kudos to them for actually filming this movie in um, you know, on location. So you know I'm giving this movie a um, a two for the cinematography and two for setting. I'm also giving it two for directorship. I thought this Neil guy, this Neil. Um, uh, whatever his name is, not going to work here anymore. Neil Marshall, um, who hasn't actually done too much. That's one of the reasons I'm impressed with this movie. Is he's he ha- he doesn't have a, a, a very long pedigree, but what he does have is um, uh, apparently a lot of a lot of beginning talent. Um, he really knew how to put together this movie, and I really want to give him some credit for for not having a lot of experience underneath his belt. The story itself. Really, I'm gonna give it a one for uh, because it it holds up fairly well, but towards the end it starts to come apart. But I don't feel it knows what it really wants to do when we get to the end, or if it does, I don't really appreciate the way that it's done. And then um, let's see here, what's the other part that I really left out there? Oh, and the acting again. I thought the acting was 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 really was pretty well done, and especially Olga with with her silence. I mean, it added a, a nice menacing touch. And I don't know if we've ever seen an actor go through a whole movie and have such a presence on the screen and never say a darn thing. A lot of times Hollywood will have them at the end somehow come out and utter something very provo- provoking. Uh, but that doesn't happen, obviously, because she has her tongue cut out. So, But I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give that um, a solid one. And when we add them all up, I'm going to give this movie a solid eight. Excellent. Oh, man, I'm very excited now because... Um I'm just going to tell you guys right now. I love this movie. I was very impressed with it. I thought the, um, you know, like Jeff said, I thought the directorship of this movie was very well done. Never heard of this act, or uh, I'm sorry, never heard of this director before. You know, seen several of the uh, actors that were in this movie, liked everything that they were in, thought everybody did a really good job. I am a very big fan of uh, anything that has to do about Rome particularly Imperial Rome, so I was very much intrigued by this movie. Really, really liked it. I really can't add much more than what Jeff said. I thought the ending was okay. I, I will digress from those guys. I bought into it at the very end. Um, you know, you're basically looking at a guy that is pretty much, uh, you know, devoted himself to Rome, and then Rome kind of turned his back on him. Where does he go at that point? I think you guys might have missed that part because he was very much loyal to Rome. And he made that clear throughout the movie. So I think he felt he really had nowhere else to go but back to Stevie Nicks. So there you go. It's a great it's a great movie and I really like it. And I am gonna get I'm just to be honest with you uh, folks, I'm I'm going slightly above my colleagues. I'm going an eight point five here. And like I said, for me that that's a damn good movie to see. So uh, that's my review. Gentlemen, closing I like thoughts? It. I like it. I'll just have to say that uh, my closing thought on this movie is that, you know, I, one thing that kind of bothered me that was kind of heavy handed was, you know, they wanted to make it very clear that Dominic West, you know, the leader of the Legion, he was a manly, virile man. So they call him virilis. I think that's overdone. They should have been done giving him a Roman name that's a little more subtle, something like biggest dick. <laughs> <laughs> 
There we have it. All right, folks, that is it for Man Cave Movie Review, episode 57. Uh, stay tuned for us next week, and we are going to be talking about Cross of Iron. It's a great movie. Uh, I think you'll like it. So until then, check us out at our website at uh, mancavemoviereview.com. Also look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review. Tell us if you like the show or didn't like it. Also, Facebook. We're on Facebook, and we are at Man Cave Movie Review there. And give us a like. Tell your friends about us and share us out there because we want to expand our great movie knowledge of Man Cave movies to everybody out there. So let us know how we're doing there. And we're also on Twitter at Man Cave Movie. Uh, so until then, I am your host, Steve Michael, signing off with my good and dear friend, Ken Quintus Maximus Ronarius. I don't have a witty uh, ending again. I, I, I was trying to work one up. I just couldn't come up with one. That's right. You have failed us for the. <laughs> you have to, I have to come up with the. You failed us. For I will now, ha- having failed you, I will be cautious of the Ides of March. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Okay. Very well done. All right. And also saying farewell adieu is our other good and dear friend, Jeff. Get that blue crap off my face, Muncie. Steve's a ruthless, ruthless bastard. And I'd die for him without hesitation. <laughs> Very well done. Like it. Uh, you know, I might have to call that favor in before the uh, before the end of the week. So, all right, folks. Hope you like this show. Stay tuned for us next week. Until then, ciao. Back up to one point that Jeff said, moderately attractive. Moderately. She was okay. I would kick her out of bed for eating crackers. <laughs> I wouldn't even let her in bed to eat crackers. Y- you I and I are going to have a conversation. You stand over there on the precipice of the bathroom and in, in, in our bedroom. I, and I would just, I would because with those long, wavy locks, the cracker crumbs would get caught up in the hair, and I'd never even notice it. Oh, but see, when you're running your fingers through the hair, right, and you, you come in contact with those cracker crumbs, you're like, what the hell is this? Giant lights? What the hell's going on here? There's some peanut butter in there, and it's peanut butter crackers. I don't even know who you people are anymore. What the hell? Oh, my God. Steve, I, I'm with – she's an attractive woman. My God. Well, the best-looking woman in this movie is Olga. Come on. We all know it. Actually, no, the other Pictish – Warrior woman. I don't know. Oh no, no that she was just downright scary looking. She was. She frightened. I thought she she intrigued me. That's me. Okay. Well. Well. All right. Number. We can argue argue this.